Well, praise the Lord. Anybody remember where we are? We didn't have church last Wednesday night. We're in Philippians, and we are in chapter 3, beginning chapter 3. And I'm um, going to begin tonight with verse 1. Uh, I don't know how far we'll get. We may not get past verse 1. I don't know for sure. But uh, we'll, go as, we'll go as far as we can. But I love this chapter. Um, Brother Wade ministered. Uh, Brother Rick did Sunday night from this third chapter of Philippians as well. And um, I tell you what, there's some good, good stuff. Some good nuggets, some good teaching, some good stuff here in this third chapter of Philippians. So if you have it tonight uh, in your Bible, say amen. You got it? Praise God, or on your smart device, or your not-so-smart device, whatever you're using tonight. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, he says. Now notice, he says finally, and this is just his first clothing, closing. He, he, he writes two more chapters. He's definitely Pentecostal. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. And I'm just going to stop right there. And uh, I, want to, I want to minister tonight and probably, probably, like I said, probably next Wednesday night as well. But I want to talk about some safeguards for the saints that Paul gives in these passage, in this chapter, in this passage of Scripture. Father, we ask you to bless tonight as we minister your word that you would add your blessing and your anointing to this message tonight. Help me as I minister tonight to share the word with your people to feed this flock in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. How many of you all believe tonight as Christians, as Bible believers, as saints of God, that we need to be alert and be on our toes at all times, all the time? We need to be spiritually awake and spiritually alert. And there's a lot in the New Testament about uh, spiritual sleep and slumber and a lot of uh, a lot of the New Testament, the writers admonish us to be alert and to be awake because we live on a battlefield. How many know that? Now, you know, not literally, but in the spiritual realm, we're in a conflict, and this is a battle that we're in, a spiritual, there's spiritual warfare that we are engaged in. This Living for Jesus is the best life anybody could live, but it's not a playground. It is a battlefield, and you and I, believers, are soldiers in this army of God. And as a soldier, we're to war a good warfare, and as a soldier, we are to be cautious in battle, and we must be on guard at all times against our adversary, the devil. We have 
uh, an adversary tonight. Peter said that we are to be sober and to be vigilant because our adversary said, your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, is walking about seeking whom he may devour. And I like the way the Scripture says that. He's seeking whom he may devour, which tells me that he can't just devour anybody. He can't devour you if you don't let him. Amen? So we need to be watchful and we need to be on guard. And, and um, in, in, this, in this third chapter of Philippians, Paul addresses this issue here and he admonishes the believers in this church in verse number 2 to beware. And if you'll notice in that second verse, three times he says to beware. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, be, beware of the mutilation. And so he's, he's, giving them, um, he's giving them some precautions. He's telling them to be watchful, to be on guard, and to beware. And there's some things today, you know, in, in our life, we, you know, as we walk through this life, there are some things as Christians that we must be on guard for and we must beware of. Amen. And we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, um, these precautions are for the purpose of helping us to be the very best Christians that we can be. So Paul is giving some warning here and he's telling them to beware and to be on guard. But now notice in verse number 1 as he, as he, um, as he addresses them and as he begins to talk to them about the things that they're to be aware of and beware of. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, now, you know, finally, that word finally, actually it means as for the rest. So Paul hears about halfway through. We're about halfway through this book of Philippians. And he's about halfway through this letter. And he has some more that he wants to tell this church. And so he says, as for the rest, my brethren, nothing remains but to rejoice in the Lord. I love the way the New Living Translation says this. It says, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Whatever comes your way, whatever happens, rejoice in the Lord. And so Paul sets down here what we might call in this very first verse of this third chapter, he said, listen, uh, I've addressed some things and so what remains now? There's nothing remains except for you to rejoice in the Lord. And he's laying down here a principle that we, that we could call the instructability of Christian joy. How many knows that we're supposed to be? God wants you to be joyful. He wants us to be joyful. I mean, you know, and I've said this before, the Bible says that the saints are preserved. It doesn't say that we're pickled. Amen? So we're to have, we're to have the joy of the Lord in our hearts. Amen? And uh, we're not supposed to go through life as Christians looking like that we're, you know, looking like we've been sucking on green persimmons all day long. But we're to have the joy of the Lord. And, and so Paul is laying down here a principle of, of the indestructibility of Christian joy. And the reason that Christians 
Christian joy, true Christian joy is indestructible is because the joy that we are to have is in the Lord, is because we are in the Lord and our joy is in the Lord. Nehemiah 8 and 10 says, you know, be not sorrowful for the joy of of what? The Lord. Well, know that verse. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So Satan knows that. As long as you're joyful, you know, you're going you're gonna to be strong against the attacks of the enemy. But if he can steal your joy and rob you of your joy, he can rob you of your strength. And that's, I'm going to tell you, Satan is after your joy and my joy. How many believes that tonight? So we got to make up our mind. We're not going to going to allow um, the enemy or anything else to steal or to rob us from the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. No, no matter what happens, and this is what Paul is saying here, that our joy, we're to rejoice in the Lord because no matter what happens to us or in our life, if we are saved, we are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing, Paul said it in Romans chapter 8, that nothing can separate us, whether it be tribulation or persecution or angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to, you know, or things to come. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So as long as we are in Christ and remain in Christ, praise God, it doesn't matter what's going on in our life. Our joy is not, listen, it's not in our circumstances. Our joy is not in the situation that we are living in today or in the world. Jesus said that the joy that I give to you does not come from the world. It comes through knowing Him. It's the joy of the Lord. The world can't give you this joy. Amen? Satan, Satan ain't got no joy, and the pleasures of this world got no joy to give you. Oh, there's pleasure in the world for a short period of time, for a season. But lasting true joy comes through knowing Jesus and abiding in Jesus and having his, his joy flow in your life. Amen? See, a Christian can lose all things. You can lose everything you have. People and friends can walk out on you and forsake you. And, and many of you have had that happen. We have. And when you're pastoring a church, that happens, you know, sometimes. And folks can walk out. But as long as you've still got Jesus, come on, somebody. It doesn't matter who turns their back on you or walks away from you or leaves you behind. As long as you've got Jesus, you can still have the joy and still rejoice in the Lord your God. Amen. Hallelujah. And so the reason for depression, and man, there's a lot of depression that people are going through uh, today. And the reason for, for so much of the depression and loss of joy is that people make the source of their joy the wrong thing. They've got the wrong source for their joy. A lot of people, you know, the source of their joy is, is money. As long as they've got plenty of money and as long as they can buy whatever they want, they're happy and they're joyful. But the money runs out and they have a, a, a difficult time financially and their joy is gone. Some people put their, put their, put their, have their source of joy in people or possessions or their positions or in their job. And when those things are gone and we lose those 
those things, their joy is gone. But see, our rejoicing cannot be in material things, and our rejoicing cannot be in, in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And if our rejoicing is in Him because we have Him and because we are saved, praise God, it doesn't matter what else we lose. Brother Bob, if we got Jesus, we can still rejoice. Amen. Paul and Silas could rejoice in the middle of a Philippian jail with their backs bleeding and their, and their hands and their feet in the stocks. They could still praise the Lord and they could still rejoice. Amen. Jehoshaphat's army could still praise the Lord and rejoice when they were going out into a battle, when they were, when they were you know, when, when, when they were outnumbered, vastly outnumbered. And God gave them the victory because in the face of defeat, they could still rejoice. And that's what Paul is saying to this church at Philippi and that's the message to you and I today amen is to rejoice in the Lord our God look what let me just bring this scripture out tonight because we know this verse some of the probably the most most uh, uh, familiar verses in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter three, and uh, Habakkuk's going through some rough times, and he's going through some things that he doesn't understand, and um, his 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 nation, the nation of Israel, is getting ready to be um, is getting ready to be attacked and overcome by the Assyrians. God's going to turn them over to the Assyrians for uh, chastisement because of. That they have backslidden away from him. And things are not going to go well. And Habakkuk couldn't understand all that until God explained some things to him. But then he ends the book. It's a short little prophetic book. Habakkuk chapter has three chapters. But in chapter number 3, verse 17, here's what he says. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall be there be fruit in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flocks shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. In other words, if everything falls apart, if everything goes wrong, if everything is lost, he said, yet, in spite of that, he said, in spite of everything that may happen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will joy in the God of my salvation. That's a choice that every one of us has to make. He says, the Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hind's feet or deer's feet. Amen. How many's ever seen a deer leap through the woods? Praise God. Hallelujah. And he will cause me to walk upon my high places. Well, that's the kind of joy that God wants us to have tonight. Rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, the antidote for sorrow is joy. And God has promised throughout different places in the Scripture that He can take our sorrow, and we all have sorrow, we all go through times of sorrow, but that He can turn our sorrow into joy. Amen? God's the only one can do that. He's the only one can do that. And so the antidote for sorrow is, is joy, and true joy comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word joy, it's interesting to know that the word joy appears 165 times and rejoice 192 times in the King James Bible. And the Bible gives us a blueprint, uh, scriptures, 
after Scripture, a blueprint of how that we can have joy in our lives. And if we will do what the Bible says to do, we can have the joy of the Lord in our life. How many wants joy tonight? Amen. You want joy tonight. Amen. Let me read you just a few things. Let me go through a few things here real quickly that the Bible tells us that, are, uh, that will bring joy in our life. The first one is we can request joy from the Lord. You can ask God to give you joy. How many knows that? David did that. He said in Psalm 51 and 8, he said, Make me hear joy and gladness. And then in Psalm 51 and 12, he said, Lord, restore to me the joy joy of my salvation. How many of you ever felt like you've lost your joy? Your, your, your joy bucket got a leak, amen. Your joy bucket got a hole in it and your joy leaked out. Well, it's okay to ask the Lord, hey, Lord, I know you want me to have joy and my joy level's a little low. Would you restore to me, give me the joy of the Lord in my soul? It's okay to ask him and request the joy of the Lord. There's a second thing that'll bring joy in your life and that is reading and relishing the Word of God. If you'll read this book, there's some joy right here in this book. Jeremiah found that out in Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16, Jeremiah said this. He said, your words, speaking of the word of God, he said, your words were found and I ate them and your word was to me. Now that doesn't mean that he took the scroll and ripped it up and chewed it up and ate it. I think we all know that, amen. He's not talking about ripping pages out of your Bible and chewing it up and eating it, but he's referring to that spiritually. He said, your word was found and I ate it. How many he knows we're feeding on the word tonight that's what we're here to do tonight amen the shepherd's here to feed the sheep to give you the word and you got to eat I can't make you eat I can just put the food out there you got to eat it but he said your word was found your words were found and I ate them and listen and your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart that brings joy you want some joy get in the Bible read the word meditate on the scriptures and the word of God will give joy to your heart. You know something else that gives you joy? You want, you want to tell you something else that gives you joy? It's to realize that your name is written down in heaven in the Lamb's book of life and just knowing that you are saved and on your way to heaven. That'll give you joy. Remember when those, those 70, Jesus sent the 70 out um, to, to preach and to teach and to, and to heal the sick and all of those things? And they came back. They went on an evangelistic campaign and they came back just shouting the victory and they were rejoicing and, and uh, they said, wow, we're so excited. We're so happy. We're so full of joy. And Jesus said, well, what's going on? He said, well, Lord, even the devils, the devils are subject to us through your name. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, listen. He said, I, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, and I've given you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. How many times we rejoice in that because we've got victory over the devil, and that's a wonderful thing Jesus has given us. But he said, don't rejoice in this. Not that the spirits, don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but Jesus said, rather rejoice. Why? Because your names are written down in heaven. Hallelujah. I ain't never seen, I ain't never seen the Lamb's book of life. Anybody ever seen the Lamb's book of life? 
No, but I tell you what, I know there's a name. I know Ricky Carl Hensley is written down somewhere in that book of life. And I tell you what, if I don't know anything else, if I know my name's written down in the Lamb's book of life, because that's the book they're gonna, that God's going to go through, amen. And if your name is there in the Lamb's book of life, you'll get to go into heaven eternally. If your name's not there, it's depart from me. I know my name there because I made Jesus my Lord and Savior and I've got joy tonight because my name is written in heaven. Amen. I believe I'm talking to some folks tonight that your name is written down in heaven. Praise God. Hallelujah. So that gives you joy. You know something else that will give you joy? Reaching other people for Jesus. Winning people to Jesus. Amen. The Bible says this, Jesus says this in Luke chapter 15 verse 10. Jesus said, I say unto you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's joy in the presence of God. You know, when Tracy came Sunday morning and, and prayed that sinner's prayer and asked Jesus to come into to his heart, to his life, there was rejoicing in heaven. The angels of God, there was some happy, happiness in heaven and there was joy going on in heaven. And let me tell you, let me tell you something. Heaven's not a sad place at all. Not by any means. Heaven's not a sad place. It's a joyful place. But there's so much more joy that just erupts among the angels of God. When one sinner, when one sinner, over, over, he said he rejoices more over that one sheep that comes home than over the 99 that don't need to be saved, that need no repentance. Amen? You know what? If you're lacking joy, maybe just witness to somebody that don't know Jesus. Tell somebody about Jesus. Win a soul to Jesus and he will see that you have the joy of the Lord in your heart and in your life. Amen? The joy of the Lord is our strength. See, people make that mistake, as I said, about relying on things instead of the Lord for their joy. And, and so they find that, that joy is just not there when they're trusting in things. But joy doesn't come from the outward things that we have. Joy comes from within. It comes from knowing Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. He said in, in Psalm 1611, he said, Thou will show me the path of life, and in thy presence is what? Fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Hallelujah. Billy Sunday said, If you have no joy in your religion, Religion, then there's a leak in your Christianity somewhere. Praise God. We need to get the leak stopped, the leak fixed, and get our joy back. We come to the house of God. We come to rejoice and to praise the Lord and to get happy. Come on, somebody. Woo, hallelujah. Amen, amen. The Bible says this. Let me give you one more here. I think I got one more I can give you. In Proverbs 15, 23, the writer of Proverbs says that a man has joy <clears throat> by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? What's he saying there? That the reply of your mouth, the words that you speak, the words that you say can bring joy or they can bring despair. You can go around talking all day, gloom, despair. 
and agony on me. And you know what? You ain't going to have much joy if you go around talking that and singing that song. But he said that a man has joy by the answer of his, of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good is it? So we need to, and I've told you this before and I've said this before, but we've got to keep saying it and, and repeating it because we've got to get it. We need to be talking joy and victory instead of sadness and defeat. Amen. And negativity and gloom and despair and all that bad stuff. We, we, hey, we got a lot. There's a lot of good stuff in this book that we can declare and profess. Amen. That is ours in Jesus Christ. And so we need to declare the joy of the Lord and speak blessing instead of complaining. Amen? Speak some good words. What did he say? A word spoken in, in, in due season, how good it is. Speak some good words at the right time. Praise God. I mean, you know, if somebody's, if somebody's going through a sickness or whatever, and you, you go to visit them, pray with them, I mean, don't go in there and say, oh, man, what's wrong with you? And they tell you, say, well, I had, a, I had an uncle die to that. I mean, that's not, that's not, some, that's not joyful words. Amen? That's not going to lift anybody up. You need to be you, you need to put some joy in their heart and in their life by a word fitly spoken. The book of Proverbs says that a word fitly spoken is like what apples of gold in baskets of silver. Glory to God. So we need to learn how to speak words of joy and encouragement into people's life. Rejoice in the Lord all the time. Always rejoice in the Lord and be happy in Jesus. Come on. Give him a good hand clap of praise. Woo, hallelujah. I'm about to pre preach myself happy right now. Hallelujah. Amen. So he says, uh, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, for me to write, we're still in verse 1. We're just, man, we're just zooming through here. Warp, this is warp speed. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Notice that. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Now he's talking about some safeguards here. And uh, he wants this church to be safe. Because there's dangers out there. He wants this church to be protected from the evil forces that are coming against it. And I'm telling you, there were evil forces then. And there are evil forces now that are arrayed against the church. Amen. And uh, man, if there ever was a time we need to be, to know how to have these safeguards and to be safe, it's today. One of them is rejoicing and praising in the midst of everything that we go, th go through. But notice what he said. I, I, he said, I'm writing to you some things that I've already told you, but I'm telling them to you again because you ain't got it yet, and I'm going to give it to you till you get it. That's my interpretation of that, all right? Did you get that? I hope so, because I can't repeat it. <laughs> he said, I'm writing the same things to you, and it's not tedious to me. 
And he said, I hope it's not tedious to you. Because see, here's the thing, saints. You know how we learn? You're not going to learn anything by just hearing it one time. We learn by repetition. Did, did anybody here, I always, you know, did anybody here learn your multiplication tables because your teacher gave, told them to you the one time, said, okay, here's what they are, now give them back? No. I, you know, back in the, back in the Stone Age, <laughs> we had what they call, I don't know what they do now, but we had flashcards that had the multiplication tables on it. And it had, you know, two times two, and then on the back it had the answer. And they'd pull out them flashcards, and it was just, it was a memorization process. You had to memorize those multiplication tables. I mean, that's just the way that it was. And you didn't do it just at one time, in one setting. It was every day. It was repetition. It was over and over. And I'm telling you what, I got so tired I, and I still have trouble with my nines, but I got so tired <laughs> of, of, of doing multiplication tables. But you know what? When I do have to use math now, I am glad that they repeated that over and over until I finally got it and learned it. And you know what? It's the same way with the Scriptures, with the Word of God. Learning comes through repetition. And so Paul, he was teaching, he taught the same truths to these believers and to the other churches over and over and over again so that they would get it planted in their spirit and so that they would know it. Amen. So it would, they, they would know what, what he wanted them to know. Now Peter, in his writings, he said the same thing. And in 1 Peter, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, and let me read this to you. In 2 Peter chapter 1, listen to what Peter said, writing to those, those believers he was writing to. He said, for this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. Now, he was saying, you know these things, you're established in them, but I'm going to keep giving them to you. I'm going to keep reminding you. And that's what teaching and preaching is all about. Amen? He said, though you're established in the present truth, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent or this tabernacle or in this body. In other words, as long as I'm a living, he said, I'm going to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent. Or in other words, I'm going to die just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So that's what he was saying. I'm, Peter was saying, I'm going to keep teaching you these things, the same things, over and over, repetition. I know some people said, you know, I, I, hey, every once in a while I preach, I preach a message that I've preached before. And sometimes somebody say, you preached that before. Well, I ain't got nothing new. <laughs> Amen. Listen, if it's new, and I've said this before, if it's something brand new, it's probably not true. Amen? And there's a lot of people looking for something new today. And listen, I ain't got nothing new to tell you. Everything I'm going to tell you is in that book, in that Bible, and it's already been preached before hundreds and thousands and thousands of times, and I'm just going to continue to preach the same truths that are in that Word and reinforce them to you and give them to you over and over and over and over. Amen? 
Hallelujah. You know, there was a story about one new pastor went to church and he preached John 3, 16 every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday, something like that. And, and somebody said, why are you preaching the same message every week? He said, I'm going to preach this one until you get it. You ain't got it yet. When you start doing this one, we'll move on to something else. But we learn through that repetition. And that's what Paul was saying to these Philippian believers. Amen. We have got to be, listen, listen, as at the evil that's in this world today ladies and gentlemen and everything that's coming against the church and the false doctrine that's being out that that's out there being preached and the false prophets that are running everywhere today prophesying this prophesying that people are getting taken up and all that mess there's a lot of people that are discouraged and despondent in the things of God because prophets have prophesied stuff that that wasn't of God come on somebody now, don't get me off on that soapbox. But, 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 but listen, there's a lot of, of false doctrine out there. And so we've got to do, we've got to be established. As Peter told these believers, we've got to be established in the present truth. Not looking for something new, but in this present truth. In this book right here, we've got to be established in the word of Almighty God. Amen? So many people are looking for something new. Some new revelation. They're kind of like, you know, in, in, in Acts chapter 17, the Athenians. It says this uh, in Acts 17 and 21, that, that all the Athenians and foreigners who were, who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or hear some new thing. Do you realize that that's what a lot of churches are after today? Tell us something new. And they're, they're opening themselves up. They're, they're desiring teachers that will come in because they want to be scratched behind the ear. Tell us something good. Only prophesy something good. Tell us something new. Give us some new revelation. And you know what? There's preaching going on today that's not based on the word of God and people are shouting all over the church and 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 and, and, and over something that's not even an established truth of the word of God we've got to know what we believe I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded come on somebody that he's able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day we got to know this word we got to be grounded in this word and I don't count it tedious to give it to you over and over and over again. And that's why we take our time going through these scriptures. We got to get them established in our hearts. Are you with me? It was for their safety. That is what Paul said. He said, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is what? Safe. It's for your safety. That's why I'm preaching to you the same thing over and over and over. Amen? He wanted them to know the truth and not be led astray into false doctrine. And it's happening to so many today. Bible preaching and Bible teaching is a true safeguard. The only true safeguard against deception. Amen? Test the spirits. Try the spirits. See if they're of God. See if, you know, if that preacher's telling the truth. Amen? 
we got to have that. So Paul said, that's for your safety. Now I'm going to bring this, I'm going to bring this to a close. I don't want to get in this tonight. But he said in verse 2, beware. Three times, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. So he tells these believers to beware, to be on guard, to be alert. And he says to beware of dogs, evil workers, and the mutilation. And each one of those expressions refers to the same group of men. It was a group of false teachers that he was telling them to beware of. It was a group of false teachers who were called the Judaizers. And they sought to put Christians under the law of Judaism, and they taught that righteousness could be obtained by law-keeping and by ritual, and that faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, for righteousness, for, for sanctification, that faith in Jesus alone was not sufficient and was not enough. That they had to add the works and the deeds of the Mosaic law. It was okay. They agreed that, yes, Jesus, yeah, Jesus was the Messiah. Put your faith in him. But that's not enough, they said. This is what these teachers said. That's not enough. You still have to, they told, the, they told the, uh, these believing Christians, you still have to be circumcised. You still have to keep the feast days. You still have to keep the law and, and, and do these things because faith in Jesus alone is not enough. That's what they were teaching. And everywhere that Paul went and established a church and taught salvation by grace through faith and got a church established and got people born again and preached the cross to them and preached the blood of Jesus to them, and, and, and told them how to live, was teaching them how to live for God and, and all this. And he would get that church established and then he would leave. And, and guess who would come in, sneaking in, sl- sliding in? The Judaizers, the false teachers. Oh, well, we know what Paul said, but, you know, you still got to be, you still got to keep the law of, of Moses. You still got to do these other things. And in their doctrine was, it was, it was Jesus Christ plus something else. And ladies and gentlemen, it's Jesus Christ plus nothing. Amen? It's Jesus Christ. Christ alone. It's what he did on the cross. It's his shed blood and his blood alone that brings righteousness into our life and saves us and gets us ready for heaven and keeps us ready for heaven. Amen. It's through the cross and the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. So he's saying to them, beware of dogs. I've got, I've got, to, I've got to bring this to a call. Beware of dogs. He's not talking about a Doberman. <laughs> he's, not, he's not talking about a German shepherd and, uh, or anything like that. But the dogs that he's talking about were not the same kind of dogs. You know, we have our dogs today. We're dog lovers here, right? I hope everybody is, pretty much. But uh, the dogs that we know today as our pets that we have 
our dogs, they're, they're part of our family, right? I mean, they, they just become a part of our family. We love them, and they, <laughs> our, our dogs treat us better than a lot of other people. But anyway, um, they're, <laughs> they're well-loved. I mean, our little dog, we've got a little Cavalier King Charles by the name of Dolly. We've had her for about 13 years, and uh, she's never bit a person. She's never growled at nobody. She's just meek, and she's even-tempered, and, and, you know, she's not mean at all she she doesn't do that anything like that and uh, so you know we have our pets that are that we love but in Bible times and I'm going to close with this but in Bible times dogs were different they weren't highly they were not highly loved they were not pets like we know them today the dogs referred to in the Bible and the dogs that Paul is referring to here when he's telling them to beware of dogs. The dogs in Bible times referred to were undesirable animals which, which traveled in packs and they roamed the streets and they were savage animals and they would hunt for food and dig for food among the garbage dumps. They were like cur dogs. They scrounged for food. They would go around snapping and snarling at people and were known to attack people, especially children. So they weren't these mild-mannered dogs, they were, they were, they were kind of wild and savage, and they weren't the pets that we know today. They were considered dogs in Bible times were considered unclean animals. And the term dog was used by the Jews to describe the Gentiles. You're unclean. They call them dogs. The Jews, you know, in their sanctimonious self-righteousness, looked down on the Gentiles and said, they're a bunch of dogs. They're unclean. And Jesus, you remember the Syrophoenician woman that came for healing for her daughter? And Jesus said, it's not proper for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. Why, if a preacher said that to a person today, they'd never come back to church. This lady didn't get offended. That's another message. But, it, but they were, dogs stood for the lowest thing that people could think of in Bible times. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 15, the Bible tells us that dogs, dogs there stood for people that were so impure that they were barred from the holy city because Revelation twenty two fifteen talking about the new Jerusalem says, and without, outside the new Jerusalem are dogs. So they were unclean people. And so that's what Paul, he was, listen, Paul was not politically correct preacher. He was talking about these Teachers, these false teachers, he said, they're unclean, they're, they're, they're no good, they're dogs. They're dogs. You need to beware of them. Anybody here? And so Paul applies this term to these Jewish false teachers who are seeking to corrupt the church and were perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you something? Anybody that will pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ would have to be in this category. To try to lead a church or a body of believers, or anybody for that matter, astray to follow false doctrine and false teaching. And Paul called them dogs. He said they're unclean. You need to beware of them. Know who you're listening to. I, listen, I don't know who y'all follow. 
as far as TV ministries or radio ministries or YouTube. I mean, listen, YouTube, there's YouTube prophets everywhere. There's YouTube preachers everywhere. I don't know who you're following, but listen, know who you're following Know who you're listening to. Know what they're teaching. Make sure that what they're, what they're preaching and teaching is from this book. Are you with me? Amen. Make sure it's from this book. And so that's what Paul is saying. Watch out for the infiltration of those who are mere professors in Christ. And he's sounding a warning for all the churches to, do, to beware of any and all influences that might weaken the message of the gospel and turn you away from the truth. Beware of those dogs. Amen. Amen. And so we as pastors have a twofold responsibility. Number one, preach the true, true Word of God, the unadulterated Word of God, the unmixed, not mixed with anything, but the pure Word of God, and to warn the body of Christ, about false teaching and false doctrine. I think we need to lean more on preaching the truth. They say that, they say that, that if you handle a lot of real money, which I would know nothing about, but <laughs> if you handle a lot of real money, like people that work in retail or whatever, in stores or banks or whatever, tellers, that if you that you've, you learn the feel of the real. Do you see what I'm saying? And that you, you could immediately, by the feel, tell one a, a bill that's counterfeit or not real. So the more familiar you are with the true gospel and the true word of God, then when you hear something that's not right, and thank God for the Holy Ghost, for the Holy Ghost will immediately on the inside say, oh, whoa, 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 something wrong there. Have you ever had that happen? Something wrong with that. Beware of the dogs. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Worship team, come on back. Beware of deceitful workers. We'll get into that, I guess, next week, but I, I want to bring it to a close. Beware of the deceitful workers, evil and deceitful workers. Beware of the mutilation. And so he warns them there of deceitful workers, of those that are bringing false teaching and false doctrine into the church. Now, you know, false teaching, false teaching, and, and Peter warned about it too because he said there, there, were, there were false prophets in those days among the people. And he said, so there are false prophets among you. And here's the thing about false, uh, false teachers, false prophets. They, they, they won't just, just blast you with something that's, that you know right off the bat that that's wrong. But, but false doctrine always is placed in some of the good food of the word and hidden there. Do you understand what I'm saying? All false teaching comes into the church riding on some truth. See? And, and um, you know, I've heard this analogy before. If you wanted to poison a dog, which nobody does, hopefully, or a cat or anything else, but you wouldn't, you wouldn't just put some rat poison down there, you would 
mix it with some good food or put it in on a good steak or in some hamburger. See? Well, that's the deceptive work of Satan in the church and in the world today. He'll always hide the evil in the good and creep in, sneak in like that. Amen? That's the way he does. That's the way he does. So know the word. Know the gospel. Let's stand tonight. Beware of the dogs, the safeguards that we have tonight. Father, thank you.